and welcome back to another edition of YCT Matters. This is Carol Platt-Lebow, the president of Yankee Institute, and today we're extremely fortunate to be joined by a reporter from Connecticut Inside Investigator, Catherine Revelo. And Catherine is with us because she is reporting on a topic that should be of interest to everyone in Connecticut, and that is our scare quotes, clean election program. It is part of a feature. Part one is out and apparently part two is coming. And it is called Examining Connecticut's Clean Election Program. You can find it on Connecticut Inside Investigator at insideinvestigator.org. That's insideinvestigator.org. And Catherine, welcome to YCT Matters. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the program. Um, So one of the things that I thought was so interesting when uh, apparently uh, you all decided to cover this was the fact that, you know, we all know we have this so-called clean elections program, but most of the time, everyone sort of takes it for granted that it's here and people like Common Cause praise it, but no one has really taken a deep dive into what it is, how it works, and whether it actually is meeting the objectives that we were told it was going to meet as a rationale for it being put into place. And so could you talk a little bit about why you all decided to take a look at the CEP? Yeah, absolutely. So we received a tip uh, from an individual whose story you'll hear more about in part two of the investigation, um, who alleged that CEP was basically being used as a way for party insiders to direct kickbacks to other members of the party. You know, it's like a loyalty program. You know, essentially, if you're running in a legislative district, it's maybe not a competitive district um, and you're the party that's not going to win. Why not get a CEP grants and hire a bunch of party insiders and hand money out to them that way? Um, And so as part of that, we needed to, you know, be able to evaluate what exactly CEP's effect on elections has been. Has it led to uh, more legislative candidates? Um, And we focus specifically on legislative candidates in the piece because that's where, you know, Common Cause and a lot of those groups specifically focus on that. But has it led to more candidates in races? Has it led to more competitive races? Have some of the party dominant districts um, kind of become less party dominant over the past couple of cycles since CEP has been in effect? And so, you know, for people who may not be, um, you know, really in this line of work, um, let's just go back and and we'll give a little overview of how CEP works. Could you sort of walk us through uh, just sort of the idiot's guide to CEP? Yeah, absolutely. So CEP, which is the Citizens Election Program, is a quote unquote clean election funding program. So if you're a candidate and you're running for statewide office and Connecticut's program is a little unique because it allows Um, people in more types of races to apply for public funding. But if you decide that you're running for office and you want public funding, um, you can apply for a grant from the um, SEEC. 
and they will give you what is the um, campaign spending amount for that election cycle. In order to qualify that, you have to raise a certain threshold of donations, and what that threshold is varies by what uh, type of race you're running, and you have to collect those donations in chunks of $5 to $290 from eligible residents in your district. And so essentially, we have taxpayer-funded elections here in Connecticut. Um, right? Yeah, that's fair to say. It is publicly funded. It is a voluntary program, but if you participate in it, you are receiving public funds, not primarily private funds for your campaign. And so, okay. And so, you know, the the piece that you wrote about starts off with an example, a story about how, in fact, a CEP was exploited uh, and was involved in an illegal kickback scheme that was orchestrated by a former chief of staff to the Republican minority leader in the House, Larry Cafaro. And of course, Larry, I don't there no aspersion on him. Uh, he was never said to be involved. George Gallo was the person who was implicated in this and sentenced to a year and a day. Um, but it showed, in a sense, how the program could be used to to essentially um, finance a, a bribery scheme, correct? Correct. So what happened there was um, George Gallo was put in charge of a program called the House Republican Campaign Committee, which was started right before CEP first went to, into effect for legislative candidates in 2008, with the expectation that if more candidates could get public financing, that more candidates would probably be running races. So this program was set up to um, create sort of like a, you know, one-stop shop for people who are running campaigns and, and provide them with services. And Wendy Traub, who is one of the um, candidates we talk about in our story, um, was directed by um, a campaign advisor to uh, use a um, mailing service that would provide you know, direct mail flyers um, to her campaign, which was run through this program. And that's um, the name of that company is Direct Mail Systems, which is based out of Clearwater, Florida. Um, or I'm sorry, I'm not sure if it's Clearwater, but it's based out of Florida. But what Florida, right. Right. What she didn't know at the time was that George Gallo had set up a deal with this company to receive illegal kickbacks. So when he was referring money to this company, the company was personally sending him money. So he was benefiting um, from sending candidates to them. And what's interesting is, you know, uh, 13 states, you report, offer public financing, but we're one of only three states that use so-called clean election programs as a method of providing public financing. Other states use matching fund programs. So we're a bit of an outlier. As we do this, the rationale behind it when, when it was established was purportedly to bring in more candidates from minority parties? What is the thinking behind doing this? Um, insulating people, obviously, from the evil special interests, uh, I assume. But, you know, was there any other thinking behind doing this uh, aside from those two rationales, Catherine? Um, I think those those seem to be the two primary rationales is getting, you know, quote unquote, special interest money out of politics. Um, eliminating corruption um, is one of the major goals. And especially if you read anything that Common Cause has written about CEP, um, you'll see a lot of that. Um, and then just making running for office accessible for a greater number of people who, you know, 
if you have a CEP grant, if you have public funding, it, you're not necessarily having to rely on going out and finding, um, you know, a lot of big money donors who can help bankroll your campaign. So what have you found so far about how it's working and meeting all these objectives? Well, what we found were kind of mixed results. Um, you know, the one of the things that we focus on in the piece is the discrepancy between the requirements that minor party or third party candidates and major party candidates have to participate in. Um, we found that, I mean, for legislative candidates, there is a relatively high participation rate in CEP funding. It was, um, I believe, it was about 85 percent in the 2020 election. Um, but when you look specifically at third party candidates, that rate of participation drops pretty much to zero. Um, and most likely one of the reasons for that is whereas major party candidates can just apply for a grant and if they raise the requisite number of donations, they're going to receive a grant, third party candidates have to uh, collect an additional number of ballot signatures just to qualify to get what is most likely going to be a partial grant. And they have to do that then on top of raising those donations from uh, qualified donors. Um, some of the other things we found were that, um, um, and it's, it's a little difficult to evaluate exactly how effective this has been because there's not a lot of great reporting on, uh, campaign finance on funding of campaigns on who has received um, CEP funding. You can find it if you search through you know, the SEC's website, um, but the reports are not always consistent from year to year. But some of the other things that we have found are that um, there's really um, hasn't been any significant increase in the number of candidates that have running or that are running necessarily specifically in legislative races. Um, races aren't necessarily more competitive. And while there has been some drop off in uh, party dominant districts and the degree to which one party is dominant, that's again kind of mixed throughout the state. One of the things that I find interesting is perhaps not at the legislative level, but one thing um, that you know, you do see certainly uh, at the gubernatorial level is you see a number of people perhaps getting in the race because of these funds uh, who might not do it if it all depended on uh, the the deployment of their own elbow grease simply to stay in the race. Um, you know, so you can have people who get in perhaps not because they've assessed that they have a realistic shot at becoming governor, but perhaps rather because, you know, the threshold is accessible to them and uh, it gets them to a place where they can raise their name recognition in uh, furtherance of other projects or agendas. I mean, is that something that has seemed to make sense as, as a course of your reporting, although you did say you were focusing on legislative races? Right. Yeah, uh, that's something that we're going to dive a little deeper into in the second part of our investigation because it plays into some of those allegations that that is specifically what happen is happening, especially in in primary level races where people who don't necessarily have a shot at running um, are running just so that they can raise the funds and distribute it amongst themselves. Um, and one of the things that was pointed out to us by um, the person who provided this tip that started off this investigation is, you know, the discrepancy between the amount of money that you have to raise and then the level of a CEP grant that you that you receive um, is is quite significant. For legislative candidates, it's about 
it's around 5,000 um, uh, that you have to raise in qualifying funds. And then you receive 11,000 if you um, receive a full full size grant. Um, and so that's about a 50% return on the money that you've raised. So you can certainly see how that would be an incentive to get people into politics for that reason, rather than you know necessarily because they actually want to run for office. Or serve the public. <laughs> right. Um, you know, then finally, uh, another thing that I've always found to be of interest is uh, it seems as though uh, there is a, a big discrepancy, for example, in the um, regulation, for example, of PACs and a lot of the um, a lot of the uh, organizations set up to regulate, document, for example, how businesses or corporate interests can um, unite to make their voices heard or to uh, speak through contributions. Uh, but is there a similar level of uh, regulation or oversight uh, in terms of government unions? Because it seems to me that in Connecticut's um, political, you know, regulation of political speech through corporate donations, it, it really is very one-sided in terms of um, disclosure, in terms of regulation, in terms of limitation when it comes to sort of the corporate slash business side versus the government union side. And that disparity has a real impact on how our public policy is conducted. I'm not sure how much that plays a role in CEP, right? Because one of the things with CEP funding is if you receive a grant, then that's, you know, that's the limit of what you can receive for the election. So you're not doing any outside funding. But as to whether or not, you know, there are, um, you know, that's being enforced, you know, is questionable. One of the things that Wendy Traub, who we interviewed in our story, she's a former candidate who ran for office, you know, pointed out is that, um, you know, you get all of this money um, when you receive a CEP grant, you know, ostensibly you're supposed to spend it all on campaign expenses. But um, exactly what a campaign expense is has kind of expanded in definition over the years. The legislature most recently um, approved child care services as an allowable um, CEP expense, which, you know, one of her points was, you know, if you get if if you're elected to office, you know, what are you going to do then? Are you expecting, you know, essentially taxpayer Connecticut's to continue to fund your child care? Um, and there's also really no rules as to, you know, if you don't spend the election funds that you received from CEP, if you have leftover funds in your campaign once the election is over, you know, what happens to them? They're supposed to be returned to um, the CEP fund, but they aren't necessarily they could still be used to pay off other expenses and really one of the primary ways that you know those rules are supposed to be enforced is through audits of campaigns but if your campaign isn't one of the ones that's selected to be randomly audited then no one's necessarily going to know whether you're properly following those guidelines or not you know that is fascinating and a good answer to what really was sort of an off-topic question um so <laughs> kudos to you for that um Yes. And and so it really is in the end what the the piece seems to be saying is that that it really is sort of inconclusive whether funding our elections through 
taxpayer money is actually having any of the impact that we were promised. I mean, is that a fair summation? I think that's definitely the conclusion that I came away with. Uh, One of the biggest problems for me with this story was just, you know, the discrepancy between the rules that minor party candidates and major party candidates have to follow. Um, it seems like minor party candidates, the the guidelines that are set for them, it makes CEP, CEP funding just way more un, unobtainable. You know, and you might say, well, you know, it's public funding, you're supposed to demonstrate a certain level of support. Um, but, you know, if there's an unequal playing field, and one of the goals of the program is to encourage more people from diverse backgrounds to participate in elections, um, you would think that would include diverse ideological backgrounds as well, and that that unequal playing field wouldn't exist. Interesting. Um, and so, you know, as as we wind up, can you give us a little bit of a preview about where the series is going to go from here? Yeah, absolutely. So part two um, is going to focus um, specifically on um, a case in Stratford that involves um, exactly what I talked about earlier, the allegations that um, basically the Republican Party in Stratford um, is, um, you know, running candidates who might not have an electoral chance just to uh, be able to give kickbacks to party loyalists. Um, So we're going to take a real close look at those investigations, see if we can prove um, or disprove any of that. Um, As part of that, we're going to take a look at the SEEC investigation process, as they're the ones who, when you have elections complaints, um, are supposed to investigate and 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 provide rulings. So we'll take a look at that. And we'll also take a look at whether, you know, a couple of municipal races, if since CEP has been implemented, if there has been an increase in the number of candidates that are running, and if there's been an increase in the amount of money that they're spending on their campaigns as a way to try to to gauge whether those accusations are are fair or not. Well, I think everyone is going to want to including my dog, clearly, who is offended by even the thought that some of this might be going on, uh, is going to want to go to insideinvestigator.org and look for part two of the series. Part one is already there, Examining Connecticut's Clean Election Program by Catherine Revelo. And Catherine, you know, this is such an important topic because especially in an era where people on all sides are looking to to try and see, you know, where we are with all of this and how it all works and whether it's fair and um, and what the impact of the different rules and regulations are. Uh, you're doing a real public service by helping us understand uh, what CEP is, uh, what, you know, how it operates here in Connecticut and um whether it's effective at achieving its stated goals. So thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for having me on. So everybody, as always, go right on over, check out insideinvestigator.org. Great news, great investigations, great features. Catherine, we appreciate you being with us and we invite everyone to join us again for the next edition of YCT Matters. I'll show you around this place I call home.